those who are online can actually print this off from online. And so the multiple choice for each of the following questions, circle the letter of the answer that best answers the question. Number one, the title that would best describe the Lord before his incarnation would be A, Messiah, B, the King of Israel, C, the pre-incarnate Son of God, or D, the Lamb of God. Which one would it be? C. C, you got it, the pre-incarnate Son of God. Uh, and I do want to say last week, somebody said that I uh, mentioned that uh, the Son, from an eternality point of view, and, and I, if I did, I want to correct that. Um, so remember, you have eternity back here. So in eternity past, you had the Father, you had the uh, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so this was what we call the ontological relationship. So he didn't really become the Son here until he came into time, and that's dealing with their economic relationship. And so that was for the outworking of the decree. So we'll see, and we'll, we'll go over this again today, that in the eternity past, the, the members of the Godhead got together, and they decided what would happen in time. Now, this is hard for people to understand. It's not really hard to understand. Some people just don't want to understand it. That they got together in the eternity past, and they made determinations about what was going to happen in time. And somebody said to me, well, that's not fair. Well, you make determinations about your life, don't you? Is that fair? <laughs> you know, but God can't know that. I don't want God to make any decisions. <laughs> if God makes them, it's not fair. You know, but you make decisions about your life. And God made decisions about his creation. And so they made determinations. So one of the things is that you see in this economic relationship, the, the second person of the Godhead was going to be the son. Also, one thing you want to remember, never call him the king today. He is never referred to as king of the church. You will not see that reference anywhere in scripture in the New Testament. He is not seen as the king of the church. He's going to be king over the nation of Israel during the millennial kingdom. Now, why do we make that distinction? Because any inconsistencies cause sloppiness in your theology. And this is why the church is in the shape it's in today. Okay, well, you say that don't matter. Okay, well, the next time you're flying on an airplane, if the guy doesn't close the door, don't worry about it. <laughs> It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine, right? Uh, and then notice number two. Which of these appearances would not describe the son's pre-incarnate activities? A, the angel of Jehovah. B, the Shekinah glory. C, the rock that followed Israel in the wilderness. D, the Lamb of God. D, yes. And so he, be he became the Lamb of God. As he took on human flesh, remember, John in chapter 1 says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Number three, the son taking on the form of a servant meant, A, he didn't reveal his deity during his earthly ministry. B, he veiled his outward manifestation of deity. C, he laid down his deity. D, he was nothing more than a man. Uh-oh. Well, actually, okay, I'm going to give you a pass on this because A and B are actually similar. It's B. So he veiled his outward manifestation of deity, right? He veiled his outward manifestation of deity. You have to be careful because there's a lot of people who believe that he divested himself of his deity, right? And so you want to understand that he was the God-man. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. And that's important to understand. So he did not lay down his deity. It's not possible that he could have ever done that. <clears throat> well, Number, I mean, real quick, A, A could have been, like you said, A could have been he didn't reveal it. His correct, deity. correct. That was similar. And, I, and so I'll, I'll give you a pass on that one because he didn't reveal his deity doing his, uh, well, that, that's not actually correct either yeah, because he did, he did show it in the miracles. Yes. So, yeah, it's B. I was right from the beginning. <laughs> Okay. All right, four. The following statement is true about the Lord. A, he is the creator of, of all things. B, he is executing his plan for time. C, he never presented himself as king to Israel. Or D, he is only coming back to the earth once. 
Which one of these statements are true? He's the creator of all things. Yes. And it was the son that we will see that created all things. It wasn't the father. And what's interesting is that we don't really have a lot of uh, information about the father. Well, we do, but it's not talked about a lot. And I told you last week that I think that we're going to add a class just on the father himself. But in the Old Testament, we have what are called huiophanies, not theophanies, because all of the appearances you see in the Old Testament are the son. It's not the father, you see. And, uh, and that's something that's imp- important to understand. And so he was the one that was the creator of all things. Number five, which of the following is not listed in Scripture as a reason for the incarnation? A, to be light, to lighten the Gentiles. B, to be the king of Israel. C, to provide the finan- for the financial well-being of the church. Or D, to die for the sins of man. Where did you put C? <laughs> I hope you put C. I hope everyone here put C. <laughs> yes, it's C. <laughs> All right, true or false? Um, for each statement, circle true or false. Number one, Christ is currently conducting his high priestly ministry. True or false? True. So the, the son is sitting at the right hand of the father and in the as pursuant to the decree... What he's doing now is he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding with the Father. We see this in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 for every single believer. And he can walk and chew gum at the same time. So he can do it for all of the believers. He's very capable of doing this. And he's interceding on your behalf on a daily basis. And this is very important because it gets rid of the notion that there's good luck and bad luck. You ever remember used to see uh, Hee Haw? Remember? If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. (laughs) Blues please spared his agony on me. Well, it's not true. There is no such thing as bad luck or good luck because the sun is directing the activities of what's going on in our lives. And so notice, number two, Christ was never tempted. False. Well, we see that in uh, Luke 4 that he was. Number three, Christ was tempted by a sin nature. False. Okay, now we understand that from Hebrews 4, because he didn't have a sin nature. Number four, the Jews rejected Christ as king. They did, true. And one of the proofs that you can see that is with, uh, with, with um, uh, Pilate. What did he write over the cross? Hail Jesus, king of the Jews, right? And they said... Don't say that he's king of the Jews. Write that he said he's king of the Jews. Notice uh, number six. Uh, no, number five. The disciples believed in his death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to be saved. Uh-oh. Are you sure? <laughs> there you go. Sheree. Yes. I mean, it, several times he told them he was going to die, be buried, and raised again, and they understood not one thing that he was talking about. They didn't understand what he was saying. Remember, in Matthew 16, Peter said, be it far from you that you're going to die. Right. (laughs) And so, number six, the Lord skipped the normal human growth process from babe to man. That is false. And we can see that in Luke 2, that he he grew uh, in wisdom and in stature. Number seven, the Lord was 100 percent God and 60 percent man. (laughs) Okay. Yes, that's false. Uh, number eight, the Lord uh, had a hand in his own resurrection from the dead. It is true. Now, some of this you have to see in the uh, original because it's in the middle voice. In, in really, you can translate it, and he raised himself. That the son actually had a hand in his own resurrection. Now, notice um, number nine, the Lord didn't feel hungry and thirst like normal men. That's false, yeah. And this is, I mean, and Courtney emphasized the last hour, his humanity was real. He wasn't, when they beat him, he wasn't just saying, okay, come on, guys, you got to make this look good. I really don't feel this. (laughs) This doesn't bother me. It was real. He hungered, and it was real. He felt grief, and it was real. Number 10, 
The incarnation was the first time that God's life could be seen out in human flesh. Mm. True or false? Mm. True. True. And this is what the mystery of godliness was that was revealed by Paul to 1 Timothy in 1 Timothy. That God was manifest in the flesh. He was the first one that showed God's life in these human bodies. No Old Testament saint was able to manifest that life. Not one. Not one. So who was the, who was the second part of the Godhead in the Old Testament? So it was the Son. No, no, but right. not fleshly. But not in the way where the life of the, the uh, Godhead, or the life of the Son was on display. Okay. And so when you there was different appearances and we'll see it yeah. but what he's doing today or what he did then uh, for example John 1 4 in him was life and that life was the light of men there was a concerted effort to show forth the life of the Godhead out in a human body it had never happened before okay. by anyone before the, the son did it now notice um, <clears throat> fill in the blank. In each sentence below, copy a term from the word bank that correctly completes the sentence. And so, number one, the Lord was called Jesus because he came to save. And so, and that's in Matthew one twenty one. he came to save his people from their sins. Now, this is very important to just, again, let scripture say what it says. Who did he come to save initially? His people. Now, did I say that or did scripture say it? And who was his people at the time? Israel. Israel. This is very important that you just let scripture say what it says. And that's, that's what you will see in that chapter. Now, notice in verse 2, the son appeared to Moses at Mount Sinai. Excuse me. Correct. Yes, he made appearances, different appearances. We're going to see in the Old Testament that he had various appearances in, um, and we'll see in different ways in the Old Testament. Um, so the son appeared to Moses on, on, at Mount Sinai in the form of a burning bush. Christ, we're told in the book of Hebrews, was tempted at all points. Now, this is the perplexing thing to me. That if Christ was tempted at all points as we are, except apart from a sin nature, how can people say that temptation, we basically are equating or conflating temptation to be sin, right? So the moment you say, I can sin by thought, then I'm just going to ask you, where is the line that temptation comes in? Then what is a temptation? What is a lust? And again, just asking for a friend. Just trying to find out. <laughs> number three. Christ, we're told in the book of, uh, excuse me, number four. According to Dr. Luke, two things the Lord grew in was what? Wisdom and stature. And remember, it's interesting because uh, in Luke, you see that uh, he stays around and as his parents left the temple. And then he's talking to the lawyers and the doctors there about things that they had no clue about. But then he went back with his parents and he grew up as a normal kid. Uh, and um, some of the historical accounts, they have the Lord accounts of the things the Lord did when he was younger. But this is all, you know, who knows? <laughs> it's, it's, healing the healing of the bird and all of that kind of stuff. But we, I mean, we don't know, but we do know for a fact that he grew up as a normal kid. I wish we had more information, but you can ask the Lord when you get to heaven. You probably won't be thinking about it then. Number five, the Lord stated his case for his deity by claiming, I and my father are one. Now, when he says one, one thing, one thing, why? Because remember, when you think about theology, as we talked about, you, th you think about that uh, God's nature is made up of what? The essence and the attributes. That conforms his nature, and they share that nature equally, right? 
And so the Father shares that nature equally with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what's, what's really important to understand when you think about theology is each one of the members are equally, they equally share the divine nature. Equally. Now this is important to know, but so we don't understand it because as human beings, we get a little arrogant. Because we don't believe we should ever take a subservient position to anybody. Right? And so if you tell me you got to take this subservient, no, I'm not. I could do just as much as that person could do. Well, we're we going to say that the members of the Godhead were incapable of doing just the same thing. The son said, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. And so even though they equally shared the nature of God, the son took on a subservient position for the outworking of the decree. And so did the Holy Spirit. And so that's something that just blows our mind because you just don't see people do that. People do not think that way. But the members of the Godhead did. And do. And so notice um, the son appeared to Abraham in Mamre as a angel. But really, when you look at it back in um, um, Genesis 18, when Abram saw those individuals come, he, it says there he saw three men. That's what he saw. And so he took on this human body. You know that uh, uh, angels can subsidize a human body, and I believe they can still do it to this day. And so here he took on this human body, and he appeared to um, Abram as an angel. Notice the time when the Lord placed himself under the authority of men is called the hour. And so you might look at it and look like that the son lost this battle, that the people just took control and he had no choice. But this was all planned. Remember, he says, nobody takes my life. I give it. Right. They couldn't have done anything to him if he had not allowed for it to happen. Now, you and I can't say that, can we? People can do stuff to us, and we have no control over it, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> no, or maybe fortunately. Notice the blank signifies the suffering that the son was chosen to undertake. The cup. Remember, James and John were arguing about, can you and their mother? Mothers. Arguing for their kids. Nobody, no mother in here would do that, right? Can you have in your kingdom that my sons would sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom? And what did he say? Can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And they foolishly says, oh, yeah, we can drink from it. And they did. They did. And so this cup of suffering. But they didn't. They're not sitting on the right and the left hand. though. But they did drink from the cup. And so notice in verse 9, the father used the suffering of the son to bring many sons to glory. glory. Yeah, in Hebrews. Number 10, the father has entrusted all blank to the son. Judgment. Now, during his earthly ministry, you can see in John 3, he says, I did not come to judge the world. But there's a day of judgment coming. That wasn't what he came for during his earthly ministry. But you can see that he's going to be the one judging in the future. Now notice in verse 11, Satan's temptation of the Lord was to uh, get him to act blank of the Father's will. Independent of the Father's will, right? And so he says, all you got to do is just fall down and worship me. How, how big a thing is that? And you can have these kingdoms. Now, if you offered me something and I didn't think that you had control of it, I mean, wouldn't I think you were crazy? Wouldn't I correct you? Let's just say Scott offered me to be a higher up in FedEx. <laughs> and I would look at him and say, that's funny, right? But what if Scott was a, the president of FedEx? <laughs> and he says, Kevin, you can come back out of retirement and I'll make you vice president, right? <laughs> that would be a legitimate offer, right? Satan is running the kingdoms of this world right now. And that's, this was a legitimate offer 
And he says, I, I, they belong to me and I can give them to whomsoever I will. And you look right over in the 13th chapter of Revelation and who does he give it to? The man of lawlessness. And it's not until uh, Revelation 11, when the son comes back, he comes back and he takes the kingdoms of this world by force. And that's going to be a beautiful time. It's a beautiful thing when he does that. Number 12, John states in his gospel that blank and blank came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Yes. Number 13, Christ claimed to the Jews in John 8 uh, that he blank before Abraham. <laughs> this is, kind of, this is I just, maybe it's just me, but this is kind of funny when he tells them that before Abraham was, I am. And boy, they just this just really got their goat. <laughs> You're just, you're not even 30 years old and you've seen Abraham? <laughs> it's just really, I just love it. Maybe I just have a twisted sense of humor. <laughs> Verse 14. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus were hoping that Jesus would blank Israel. Look at just again, let scripture say what it says. Were they looking for the church? They didn't mention anything about the church. When he asked them in Luke 24, what were you expecting? They said it was we were hoping that it was he who would redeem Israel. And if you'd have gone back and asked any of those guys anything about the church, they wouldn't have known what you were talking about. In fact, when the Lord told Peter and, and, and the disciples in, in Matthew 16, upon this rock I shall build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. What did Peter say to him? Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Let's get started. Right. He told, boy, he had to rebuke him, right? Because Peter said, be it far from you. We're talking about the kingdom. And that's what their focus was. Notice in verse 15, Christ blanks for the believer as high priest. He intercedes for the believer as high priest. And so how did you do? You don't have to say it out loud. Just, you know, keep it, hold it. Let's see what you do at the, at the end of the class. And hopefully if you didn't do well, you probably will do it. At the end. Okay, so we find ourselves on page three of our outline. And so again, we were talking about that in eternity past <clears throat> last week. So here you have the, the three members of the Godhead in eternity past, right here. They each had a desirous will. And so what did they determine? To do the Father's will. The Father's will. Now, why did they determine that? I don't know. I think each one of them had a plan. And it, the word that is used there, the word boule, looks like that they were discussing what would be the plan that they would use. And I don't even want to say the appropriate plan because probably all of them would have been good. Why did they choose to use this plan? I don't know. Maybe we can ask when we get to heaven. Maybe that's one of the questions you want to write down and ask. Why did you use the father's plan? <laughs> right. What, what was the son's plan? Right. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's a good point. And so you have this word for boule, which is the council or the decree. And so that word council looks at the fact that there was a conversation going on. And so the result of this conversation was the father's desirous will was what they decided to go with. And you saw that in Romans 9, Courtney was talking about it last hour. And so what is he doing now? That plan is being unfolded. And so we look at things and it just looks like helter skelter, everything's out of control. God is looking at things and it's actually just working in symmetry with, with his plan, right? You ever just watched a building being put together or constructed and it just looks like it's helter-skelter? It doesn't make any sense. You can't make hide to tell to it. I remember when they were, we were building our house, I looked at the foundation and I said, man, I think they made a mistake. <laughs> the foundation looks like it's not big enough, right? And you look, it doesn't make any sense as it's coming together. It all looks helter-skelter, right? But then when you see it coming together, it's just a beautiful sight. And that's what's happening here. All you're seeing is the father's plan being unfolded. 
and I was talking to someone this morning, and they were asking, well, why does God allow evil, right? Well, like I told the person, and I've said before, there wouldn't be a choice if there wasn't, right? You would have no other choice. But now people have a choice. And with that choice of allowing choice, you also have to allow for all of these bad things that people will do. But it's okay if you know that you have control over the plan, you see. He has control over the plan. It's not like you and me because we won't control. Say, I won't let somebody drive my car or something like that, right? Because you don't know what they will do. Maybe if you had good insurance, you say, okay, I'm in control of it. It's fine. Go ahead. You crash it. Okay. But God doesn't, I mean, God doesn't have to think that way. We think that way because we're trying to find out if I have control over this. God has complete control. And so now, as a result of that, he elected, predestinated, and now you see God's will for the believer. Now, so when you, again, think about this, you have the ontological relationship, which is the relationship uh, pre-time, in which the son comes into time. Now he's the son of, he's seen as the son of God, and then you have eternity past. And I would put with this, then you have over here, I'm going to throw this away one of these days. <laughs> I was grabbing the wrong thing. <laughs> yes. Eternity future. And here you have time. So the sun came in over in the Old Testament, right? He made appearances. And then in the New Testament... He took on human flesh. Okay, so you see that? So now, and so there's a lot of different names and, and things that you see about him. And we were on last week, we were talking about the various terms that are used for the son, and I added some more. And some of these go a little further there, but um, just to look at some of the things that it talks about concerning the son. And so key names of the second person of the Godhead and so you see that he's called the Word of God. He's called Jehovah. You see that he's the, seen as the angel of Jehovah. He's seen as the Son, Jesus, Christ, Lord. Now notice I put Christ here twice because there's two different, two different uh, usages of that word. One, as it relates to Israel, he was the deliverer or the Messiah. Here, this relates to the class that Courtney is teaching. He's seen as the resurrected one. One that was raised out from the dead. So let's look at some of these names. And we were we stopped, and we were in John. <clears throat> I think it was. Um, I think it was John eight twenty four, and it was looking here at this word, the I am, the I am. So notice in John eight twenty four, we'll see a couple of usages here in in John. Um, <clears throat> This just kind of tickles me because you just see the, the Lord just really, I mean, when you are confident about who you are and what you're, you're accomplishing, you don't have to get all out of kilter about things. And you don't see him get out of kilter, even though the people here are very disrespectful to him. Notice in verse, eight, um, <clears throat> we'll pick it up in verse 21 of John 8. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and you shall seek me. And you shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he says unto them, you're from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Now notice that word not of is, you know, again, English kind of limits us in a lot of ways. And so that ek preposition, so he says, I'm out from someplace different. I am not out from this world. I have not come out from this world. I am, this, this world is not the source of my origin. And so he says in verse 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe, or really since you believe, not that I am he, 
are really, see how they translate that? You, you really, um, and that's a really, it's a third class condition, it's not a, a sense. If you believe not, maybe you will, maybe you won't. That I am. Take the he off of there. See how it's italicized? And the reason it's italicized is that it doesn't belong there. I like the way Dr. Schaefer used to say it all the time, one of my seminary professors. Whenever you see the italicized words, it looks like they're leaning over, like they're getting ready to fall out of the, the Bible because it doesn't belong there. It's not in, in the original, and that's true. So it's really, and this, is, this makes it more emphatic. If you do not believe that I am, and what is that? The eternally existing one. I had no beginning. I had no ending. I have no ending. I've always existed. So this is just blowing their minds, right? Because they're looking at him and saying, what? Don't we know who your father is or your mother and your sisters? What are you talking about? You're the eternally existing one? And, and so they just, they have a hard time with this. And the reason they have a hard time with this is you have to go back two chapters in John chapter 6 and, he, and John tells you that the only way that you could believe that this was more than a man was that the Father had to open your eyes to see it. That was the only way you would have seen it. Now, will you ask yourself another question then? Why didn't he open the eyes of everybody? You know why? I'll tell you, just like I tell my wife when we're watching movies, it wasn't in the script. <laughs> it wasn't in the script. And that's hard for people to understand, you see. He didn't open the eyes of everyone that followed him during his earthly ministry. Go back and look at John chapter 6. And when he told them, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, that was just too much for him. And many of them left and followed him no more. And so these are having a problem, right? They're looking at him not as God. He wasn't glowing. He wasn't walking around glowing. As far as they saw, they just saw a human being standing in front of them. And more or less, they saw a human being that needed to be killed. And that's just how they were seeing it. And he's telling them, unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Now, notice their response. They're going to say, oh, no, no, we changed our mind. No. Verse 25, then said they unto him, who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, even the same I have said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak uh, to the world those things which I have heard of him. And they understood not that he spake of them to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father has taught me, I speak these things. See, and you're going to see this as a continual refrain uh, when we get into his earthly ministry. He's constantly saying, I only do those things that please the father. Now, I wish we could say that. I can't say that. Maybe you can. I don't always do those things that please the father. I do a lot of things that don't. He said, I only do those things that please the father. Notice in verse 28, then said Jesus unto them, uh, uh, in verse 29, then he, and he that sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Notice the blindness here as we continue to work our way down to the crescendo in the 50-something 50 50 verse. They answered him, verse 33, we be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you shall be made free? Well, they're not being truthful because they were in bondage, right? They have been in bondage, but they don't understand. They think he's talking about physical bondage. He's talking about spiritual bondage, you see. And notice, he's, he goes on and he tries to explain it to him. Jesus answers it, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of the sin nature. Or really, you could say the one practicing uh, the sin nature is a servant of the sin nature. 
you're a slave to it. When you are actually living out and doing the sin nature, that shows you are a slave to it, you see. And notice, and he says, verse 35, And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. And if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Do you know if many of the people in Alcoholics Anonymous and all of these places where people are going to get help, if they understood this verse, they could be set free overnight. It wouldn't really take all of what they're doing. All of the people who are in bondage to all of the drugs and whatever it is they're in bondage to, it doesn't take all of that at all. And notice in verse 37, And I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Uh-oh. <laughs> notice verse 39. Now, you wouldn't say this to people. Would you? you might feel like saying it to people, but maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> Verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you have what is called here in the Greek, you have a, um, I think this is a second class condition. If you were Abraham's children and you're not, you would do the works of Abraham and you don't. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man which has told you the truth which I have heard from God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we be not born of fornication. This is like little kids, right? You know, <laughs> you say something and they say, well, you did. You know, well, you, you be not born of fornication. You know what they're, they're saying? You don't even know who your father is. That's what they're asserting. And he says, we have only one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, um, and he's not, <laughs> you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God, and you don't. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, for you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and he's the father of it. Now, I've told people before that Satan is the father of lies. Anytime you see people lying, you know that it's satanic for a fact. No? Are we making it up? No, it says it right here that Satan is the father of lies. He's the author of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you can convince me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Now, this is really a, a point, and I'm going through it because I really feel led to, to finish this off, uh, to make that when we, you could talk to people about spiritual things and it perplexes you, why do you not understand this? Well, it does take illumination. I'm not saying that everybody who doesn't understand it is unsaved, but at the very least, they're not being illuminated. They're not being illuminated. And so you can sit up and try to force information into people, and it's like talking to that wall. You might get a more of a response from the wall. And then they answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and has a devil? So now they've said, they said that you don't know who your father is, and now they're saying he has a demon. Notice the Lord's response. Jesus answered, I have not a devil. I honor my father, but you dishonor me, and I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeks and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. And they then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death? Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom maketh thou thyself? And Jesus answered, I honor myself. If I, excuse me, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. 
And if I should happen to say that I know him not, then I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now, I think he's referring back over to Genesis 18, when Abraham saw him in memory, right? Verse 57, then said the Jews unto him, thou art yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, wait for it, here's the crescendo. (laughs) Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am Oh, they really loved us, didn't they? Look at what they do. Then took they up stones to cast at him. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple and going through the midst of them and so passed by. And so this idea of the I am, the continually existing one. Okay, I couldn't resist going through that chapter. It was just so much good stuff there. And so you have that. And so you have these different different, uh, things that are used of him. And so the word... Uh, and John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was facing God and the word was God. And so you see in the Old Testament, the word as he came to different Old Testament saints. And let's go through some of these and we'll just close it out by just going uh, straight through some of these. Look at Genesis 15, 1. <clears throat> Genesis 15, 1. And so he appears to Abram. <clears throat> Verse 15, uh, verse 1 in chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, or Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing that I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? You see how there's a distinction made? Abram here is nothing but an idolater. And God appears to him, the second person of the Godhead. And I hope that you didn't say this when you were saved. And you say, what are you going to give me, Lord? (laughs) Abraham did it. He was an idolater. Right? And God had to walk him through that. When we're saved, it's it's a completely different thing. And I hope that you don't have that attitude. Notice he's singing as Jehovah. Genesis 2, 4. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he made. Um, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because uh, in it he had rested from all of his work, which God created and made. And notice in verse 4, then, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day the Lord, or the Jehovah God, made the uh, earth and the heavens. That word Lord there is Jehovah. And so he's seen it that way and you can see it throughout the New Testament. Now this is interesting in Judges chapter 13 because you, you see that the angel of Jehovah is seen as God. Now this is one of the <clears throat> best ways that you can show the Jehovah Witnesses um, that the Jehovah that they are actually um, against is actually God. Well, you can see it right here that, he's see, that he conflates the angel of Je- Jehovah to be God. Now, notice in verse, I think it's 20 here. <clears throat> and so you see um, the angel of Jehovah appears to Manoah, Abra- I mean, uh, Samson's father and his mother. And notice in verse 20, For it came to pass that when the flame went up toward the heaven from off the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked, looked at it, on it, and they fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die. Why? Because we have seen God. You see that? It's in verse 21 and 22 of uh, Judges 13. And so, you see that the angel of Jehovah is seen as the second person. And so he made those appearances as the angel of Jehovah in the Old Testament. And notice you see the son, and uh, it's the, you see his economic relationship as it relates to um, representing the father to execute the father's plan. Notice in uh, John, 1 John 3, 8, <laughs> 
1 John 3, 8. Now, verse 7, he says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. <coughs> Excuse me. And he that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. Or, uh, from the beginning. Verse 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so here you see him as the son. You can see the son of God. Also, um, I just put the son because of different usages of the son. Now notice Jesus in Matthew one twenty one. You see that it completely relates. The word Jesus, this is very significant. The word Jesus relates to the son's earthly ministry. The word Jesus relates to the son and his humanity. This is hugely important. And so notice, and why? You remember we were studying it in, in uh, Second Corinthians that um, one of the things that these false teachers were doing is they were preaching another of the same kind of Jesus. Do you realize today that this focus on the, the earthly ministry of Christ for present tense salvation is a heresy? Do you realize that? It's not going to cause you to grow. It's the son in his resurrected and glorified state. And that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, though I once knew him after the flesh, we know him that way no longer. He is the resurrected and glorified Christ. And that's how he's presented in the epistles. And so it's really interesting to see this. Now notice in Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused <clears throat> before they came together she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph her husband being a just man not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things behold the angel of the Lord or really I would say an, an angel from the Lord. Now I don't think this is the angel of Jehovah in the Old Testament. Appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph take <clears throat> thou son David, <clears throat> excuse me, the son of David, fear not to take thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see. <clears throat> and so this was before the church. Do you see Christ, the one that's seen as the uh, Messiah? <clears throat> Notice in Matthew 16. All of these names mean something. I, I don't think that they're just throwing names in and just saying, oh, we just want to change up just so we don't use the same word. <laughs> All of these names are significant, right? <clears throat> and verse uh, 13, And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? And they said unto him, Some said that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter said, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so they saw that he was the Messiah, the one that was expected. Uh, then you see uh, Lord, uh, which means master. Uh, you see this with reference to um, uh, Israel as well as the church. Look at First Peter 3.15 and we'll see it with regard to uh, the church. So when you see this word for Lord, it means that he is master. Now, I know in Romans it says you know, a lot of people um, believe in the Romans rule to teach people for salvation. And as I said yesterday, if you teach people the Romans rule to be saved, you're going you're gonna to drive them off a cliff. That's what you're going to do. Because the Romans rule is not talking about salvation today. That's what, that was written to the nation of Israel. And the context shows you that. But here... Lord means master. And so what they have you doing today with the Romans road is that you've got to make him master of your life before you can be saved. Right? Well, they've taken that completely out of context. And what you're doing is you're making salvation a work. 1 Peter 
you set aside, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you uh, of the hope that is in you with meekness and, fe- and in fear. Set aside him as Lord God in your hearts. That he's the master. I'm just a servant. I'm just there allowing him to direct me. Man, life would be so less complicated if we did that. Then you see this idea of the resurrected one, and we'll, we'll stop with that in Acts 2.36. <clears throat> so now you're going to see that when he was resurrected, this word for Christos took on a totally different meaning. And when you see it used as you go into the epistles, the focus is upon the fact that this one who was Jesus has been raised out from the dead and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that that's our relationship. Our relationship is to the one who has been raised out from among the dead ones. And so notice in uh, Acts 2, Peter is giving this message on the day of Pentecost. And he says, uh, now, when, uh, verse 36, Therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this, that same Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ. You see that word, he made him? How? I thought he already was, right? That he's not only now master, but he's also the one who has been raised. When you look at the New Testament, and Paul says it over in Second uh, Timothy, you talk about the Lord Jesus and you do not include the resurrection, you not only are undermining your salvation, you're also undermining your present salvation. Everything pivots off of his resurrection from the dead. And if he's not raised, let's just close this Bible up. Whatever you like in the world, just go do it. It don't matter. Have a wonderful time because when we die, nothing's going to happen. If he's not raised from the dead, we're wasting our time. And that's what separates Christianity from the religions of the world. It's that Christ was raised from the dead. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week.